Good morning, Elam Chapel. We're beginning a new sermon series today that we're calling The Acts That Changed the World, focusing on the way the risen Christ began to turn the world upside down through his followers. We'll be asking God's Spirit to teach us to be like them as we look at their stories in the book of Acts, beginning today with Simon, whose name Jesus changed to Peter, which means rock. Peter was a leader. His name was the first on all the list of the apostles or disciples in the four Gospels, and he was often their spokesman. And in the first half of the book of Acts, he was acknowledged as the head of the young church in Jerusalem. The book of Acts covers roughly three decades of radical change. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he left behind a small group of followers, all living within the boundaries of the Jewish nation, no more than a couple of hundred at most. By the time we reached the end of the book of Acts, there were churches established all over the Roman Empire, in Rome, as far as India. The world was changing, and the church for the next several hundred years grew by 40% per decade, according to sociologist Rodney Stark. What caused this dramatic growth of Christ's church? Usually, we identify two theological causes, meaning those things that God did. First was a new relationship with the Holy Spirit that began at Pentecost. He became our helper, our advocate, our teacher. Beginning this Pentecost Sunday this year, we're going to actually do a short series on the Holy Spirit and his role in our lives. And the second thing God did is that he raised Jesus from the dead. On this fourth Sunday of Easter, we're beginning our exploration of the way that the followers of the risen Christ were used by him in order to change their world. Let's call them resurrection people, people whose lives were shaped and reshaped by the reality of Christ's resurrection. It was that new reality that enabled them to be agents of change in their world. It changed their way of thinking. It changed their behavior. We can see that in the way they lived their lives, the way they thought about their future, and the way they thought about other people. Jesus' resurrection gave them confidence in their own resurrection at the end of this age, when they would be given, by God, new bodies. In terms of the present, Jesus' resurrection meant that they were alive in a way that they had not been alive ever before. They were alive in Christ. They were receiving that abundant life which was promised by Jesus to his followers. It was almost as if they had never really truly been alive before. We see this in words written by Peter when he was an older man. It's one of the two great doxologies of the New Testament, the other written by Paul. He wrote, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last day. The English pastor and scholar N.T. Wright said this in his book, Surprised by Hope. Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from the earth, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. Our task in the present is to live as resurrection people in between Easter and the final day.
This is what we want to be. Resurrection people, men and women who are truly alive in Christ. To see what this looks like, we turn to the book of Acts. Today our focus, as we said earlier, is on Peter. Think back to that night when Jesus was arrested, before the crucifixion, before the resurrection. As they were on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus made this announcement, saying very bluntly to his disciples, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Now Peter was often bold, sometimes bordering on arrogance, and he seldom missed an opportunity to say what was on his mind. He responded, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. And then Jesus responded to Peter, This very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Now we know what happened. Peter emphatically denied that he was a follower of Jesus. He even said, I don't know the man. Only Luke's Gospel tells us this little detail. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the Lord had spoken to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. How could Peter ever recover from such a tragic failure? Had there been no resurrection, those denials would have haunted Peter the rest of his life. He would have been a broken man, living in shame and bitterness, or worse. But God did raise Christ from the dead, and Jesus reached out to Peter and gave him a job to do. We, this we see in John's Gospel. It was the morning that Jesus fixed them breakfast after they'd been out fishing all night long. Feed my sheep, Jesus said to Peter. Feed my lambs. He made Peter responsible for the care of his flock, his people. Now what I want to do for the next few minutes is take us quickly through some of Peter's words as we find them recorded in the book of Acts. Listen for a repeated theme in each of these stories. First, let's listen in as the eleven are in a small room selecting a replacement for Judas, who has committed suicide. Peter was obviously the one in charge, saying that the replacement disciple needed one qualification and he would perform one task. We read in Acts 1, Therefore, it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord was living among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So the qualification for Judas's replacement was that this new disciple had to have been with them from the beginning to the end, from Jesus' baptism to his ascension. The primary task was to declare the fact of Jesus' resurrection to the world. The disciples were becoming resurrection people, living witnesses to the fact of the resurrection. 
Our second stop in this short trip through Acts is Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Speaking about Jesus, Peter said, This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. The next story begins with the healing of a man in the temple who had never been able to walk. At Peter's command, he was up on his feet, running and leaping through the temple. This became Peter's opportunity to preach a sermon, and he did it with simple bluntness, saying, You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Peter and John were arrested, spent their night in a, in a jail cell, and the following day they appeared before the Sanhedrin. When Peter said, now, that, or I should say, the reason they were before the Sanhedrin is described in Acts, that they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And when Peter answered their charges, he said, It is by the name of Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Peter and John were told to stop talking about Jesus or his resurrection. But Peter replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging on a cross. Later in the book of Acts, Peter was sent to the house of Cornelius, a Roman centurion, a God-fearing man. There, Peter announced to Cornelius and his household the good news of the gospel. They killed him by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. What is the theme that Peter repeated with every opportunity? The fact of the resurrection of Jesus. God raised Jesus from the dead. Peter was doing his job, giving public testimony to the fact that God had raised his son from the dead. I've been doing funerals for almost 50 years. I've always felt it was a privilege, not just to come alongside people and do my best to help them with their grief work, but to publicly declare the truth of the resurrection of those who have died in the Lord. And I'm thankful that God called me to be a pastor. But this is the calling of all resurrection people, not just pastors, to declare the fact of the resurrection at all times, not just at Easter, not just at funerals. How do we accomplish that? How do we declare the fact of the resurrection? The key to unlocking that door is to be found in Peter's letter, 1 Peter. Let's look at that as we wrap up this sermon. Who was Peter writing to? He identified his audience by three words that give the idea of people living as strangers in a strange or foreign land. They were the diaspora, strangers in a place where they didn't belong. Why? Why didn't they belong? Well, Peter tells us, look at verse 21. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead, and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. That's why we're strangers, out of place, 
because our faith and our hope as resurrection people is in God, not in our government, not in our economy, not in the social or cultural fabric of our land, not in the various safety networks that we've created, and especially not the fads that come and go. Our faith, our hope, our identity are wrapped up in who we are. We are resurrection people. We belong to Jesus, and we have life in and through him. Resurrection people, therefore, live in hope. Our confidence is in God. No matter what comes our way, we believe that we will not be shaken. As David said in Psalm 16, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. One article I read last week stated that as resurrection people, we are agents of hope in a world where hope is in short supply. There are two ways that I want us to think about the fact of being agents of hope in our world, agents for our generation. First, by the way we live. We need to live like we know Jesus personally. And we need to become increasingly more like him. Peter, Peter spoke of this as good behavior. I'm reading from chapter 3. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Good behavior in Christ. How shall people see our hope? First, they'll see it in our good behavior. Let me run through a quick sampling of good behavior as Peter talks about it in his letter. This is how resurrection people should live. For chapter 2. So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. He goes on to say, Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. For the Lord's sake, Submit to all human authority. Then he says later in the chapter, Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. Chapter 3. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. In verse 11, turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. In chapter 4, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God 
through Jesus Christ. You get the picture. When resurrection people live like this, they will be noticed. They will become agents of hope. I spoke earlier about the theological causes behind the dramatic growth of the church. Rodney Stark also says there were important sociological causes based on the behavior of the Christians. In times of plague, the Christians risked their lives to care for the sick, and many of them died in the process. They also cared for the sick all the time, the orphans, the widows. They saved infants who were left out to die because families didn't want them, and they founded orphanages and hospitals. Women were treated with greater respect than anywhere else in the Roman world, and they were active in their churches as leaders. By these behaviors, the church became agents of change. Another way their hope was made visible was in their attitude towards their own death. I came across another quote last week about resurrection people. The disciples and those who came after, women, teens, thousands upon thousands, went to their death rather than deny the truth that they'd come to believe. Jesus was God himself, raised from the dead, bringing freedom and new life to everyone who would follow him. Resurrection people had the courage to proclaim God's truth with gentleness and kindness, and also with clarity, even if it puts them at some risk. Let's choose to be resurrection people. Let's choose to live like Jesus. Let's choose to live the abundant life that Jesus has given us. Let's ask God's Spirit to make us like Jesus, to transform us so that we live like him and talk like him and act like him, in order that we might be used by him to help those in our world find their hope of salvation in Jesus. May God transform us in our thoughts and in our behavior. Let's pray. Lord, Paul said to the church in Corinth, that we are all people who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord and from the Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are our helper, our advocate. We ask you to transform those of us who desire to be resurrection people, that we may be every day more like our Savior, Jesus. Make us agents of hope in our world as we live like him. Help us to live our lives in fuller confidence in the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Go out into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold fast to what is good. Return no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Help the suffering. Honor all people. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. May God give you a great week. See you next Sunday.